listening to the Oz TV podcast only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you today for a special episode, something we haven't done in quite some time, an interview, an interview with a person that was on a show that we have covered on this podcast. I do, of course, speak of Nip Tuck as the show and the actress we're talking today, Rebecca Metz. Now, if people are not familiar with who she played on Nip Tuck immediately by name, well, as soon as I mention the words paper bag, you will definitely remember her character. She played the character of Abby Mays in the season three episode of Abby Mays, later returned for a cameo in season four. One of the most memorable characters in all of Nip Tuck, around one of the most memorable storylines, of course. And this is a great interview. Rebecca Chats prominently here about her role on Nip Tuck, how she managed to land it, what it was like working with Julian McMahon, everything else in between. We also talk a little bit about some of her other roles in her career, as well as her cats, which is always a very exciting topic. You know I'm a cat person, so I'm excited to learn more about those as well. So without further ado, here is our chat with the one, the only, Miss Rebecca Metz. It's a massive pleasure to have our next guest here on the Oz Network today. You know her from a large variety of roles, including currently appearing on Better Things and Coop and Cammy Asa World. She's also appeared on a variety of different shows, one of which you might know her very well from, from a series that we have covered from start to finish on this show, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today as well. Please welcome to the Oz Network the one, the only, Miss Rebecca Metz. Rebecca, thank you very much for joining joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a it's a massive pleasure. Obviously, currently a few of us are confined to our homes. I don't know if that means we're <laughs> available to talk more or we're just itching to chat about things that we wish we were doing. Uh, how how is how yeah. is lockdown treating you right now? Um, I feel like I yeah, it goes back and forth. Some days I feel like I'm finally getting the hang of it and some days I feel like I'm losing my mind. You know, it's a little <laughs> uh, up and down. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I can imagine too, for somebody in, in your industry, I mean, that that's it's challenging. I mean, Hollywood's basically shut down at the moment, isn't it? So you, you can't exactly work from home unless you're doing some sort of special project with a couple of the shows that you're on at the moment with. Yeah, the voiceover people are finding ways to work. And I've done a little bit of, um, you know, ADR and voiceover work for the projects that I've been on. But for the most part, we're totally shut down. And, you know, on the one hand, we're used to periods of unemployment. (laughs) We're used to having stretches of downtime. But this is a little much. And I think the uncertainty of how long it's going to last and and what what work is going to look like when we are able to go back is is certainly weighing on people. I know there's lots of people working very hard to to figure that out and make those decisions so we can sort of get back to it. But it's been a long time at the moment. I think everybody's getting a little antsy. Had that affected uh, any of the shows that you're currently working on? Had you wrapped any of the seasons of uh, either um, Better Things or Kuban Kami Asked the World before this all happened? Yes, Better Things was done. So we had just actually started um, airing season four when this all started. So I hope it means that more people watched. You know, I hope we got we got a little <laughs> audience bump because everyone was home. But Poop and Cammy, we had three episodes left to shoot. And um, if you hear that sound, that's my cat's feeder going off. Oh, Sorry about br- that. Bring the cat in. Um, we always <laughs> like an extra guest in the background. That, that's fine. Oh, you'll probably get them. Um <laughs> So yeah, Coop and Kim, we had, we had another three episodes to go and it was a little uh, scary and sad to find out that we weren't going to get to go back and do them. And I think it, we're sort of waiting, like 
I think everyone at our soundstage just kind of picked up and left when the decision came. So the sets are still there. Our trailers are still there. Everything is still there. It's just a question of um, what's going to have to happen so that we can go back and, um, and what, what we're going to do when we go back. If we're going to finish those episodes, if we're just going to start off with something new, we're still waiting to find out about a season three. So it's all still a little bit up in the air with Coop and Cammy. And how does that affect you in playing a role like that? Because I can imagine once you've got a shooting schedule, there comes a bit of momentum in playing a character. You're you're in that character's head. You're going along with the story. I mean, when you've got such a big break in between filming scenes, do, do you have to get into a certain zone again to remember where you were at the last time you were shooting those episodes? A little bit. I mean, Coop and Cammy, we don't have – it's not, you know – a super plot driven sort of cliffhanger where, where you're waiting to find out what's going to happen in the next episode, or maybe it is for some people. I shouldn't say that, but for <laughs> me, um, it's, uh, it's not super hard to get back into, you know, um, it's a fun family friendly sitcom energy that, that, um, I think comes to me pretty easily. So it's less about, um, sort of getting back and, connection with the character and story and just more about the rhythm of, you know, going to work every day and getting the hang of it and having everything up and running. You do get into a little bit of a rhythm when we're cranking out, you know, 21 or 28 episodes in a season. And so, yeah, to have that, to have that interrupted is a little bit jarring. It's going to take us a little, a little work to like get that machine back up and rolling, I think. And how does the audience work in that? Because, I mean, Disney, you know, a little bit different to FX, but I don't know, a, yeah. a younger audience is a little bit more forgiving that there's going to be a bit of a break or are they the complete opposite? Like, we want our show back. What's happening? And they don't maybe understand why there's going to be a bit of a break for those final few episodes. I mean, I think it's kind of both. Well, the interesting thing is that the end of the season, we already shot. So ah. The end of the season is the end of the season. We ended up, we were picked up for 21 episodes and then we got picked up for another 10. So we had already shot the end of the season and then we were filming 10 more episodes to be kind of sprinkled in between what we had shot already. Right. So I don't know that the end, and then it's on Disney Channel to kind of figure out how and when to air all those episodes in a way that makes sense and stretches it all out so that it doesn't feel like we're missing episodes and Fortunately, that is uh, above my pay grade. But um, <laughs> I think uh, the audiences, you know, fans that I've heard from so far have been kind of a mix of we understand and we want you guys to be safe and we're rooting for you and we want our new episodes figure it out. That's you know? this clever screenwriters and clever editors. And they want to see their favorite shows. They don't. Yeah. They don't want to put us in danger, but they want their TV, which I totally get. Exactly. Exactly. I feel like a lot of these shows moving forward are just going to be everyone on Zoom, you know, doing their characters and just having you know numerous seasons of tying the lockdown into it, so it somehow makes sense, perhaps. Yeah, we've. I think a lot of people are working with a lot of different theories about. It. I've also heard people say, "Oh, we'll just have everyone quarantined together for you know <laughs> four months." And I was sort of like, "Oh, I don't think we should do that." I like to sleep in my bed and see yep. my family. So yep. we're still figuring out how it's going to work. Might work for the NBA or something like that, but not necessarily actors. Yeah. I don't know how that would work. No, no, it would turn into a 
uh, reality series pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. How how do you find sort of working on on two shows at the same time? Because you're sort of renowned for having lots of parts in different shows over the years, kind of not necessarily super recurring roles, but here you are, two recurring mm-hmm. roles on two very different shows. Uh, do you enjoy that yeah. kind of work? I do. I mean, it really it really keeps me on my toes. The the obviously the audience, the tone, the writing on the, each show is very different. And for the most part this season, they didn't overlap. And so I was, I was pretty much working on one or the other. And so I could just kind of shift my brain once, but, but last season they really overlapped and there were days that I was going back and forth from one set to another. And it took a really conscious kind of mental shift while I was driving to go, okay, I'm I'm leaving this world. I'm going into this world. (laughs) But I think it's, I think it's, it's really fun and I feel really lucky to be able to, you know, a lot of people get kind of pigeonholed and stuck in one genre or one style and I get to, to bounce back and forth and do lots of different things. So I feel really, really lucky for that. And yeah, it keeps me sharp, I think. Don't accidentally drop a couple of naughty words on uh, the Disney Channel uh, accidentally after a hard day I, of shooting I of the effects. I work really hard <laughs> not to do that. I work, I, uh, it's, um, yeah, the two sets are very different in that way for sure. So that is one of the adjustments that I make in my mind when I'm going back and forth. And you sort of mentioning about how it kind of, you know, you don't necessarily get pigeonholed into one role and you get that diversity of playing all these different roles over the years. I mean, when you set out to be an actor, did you ever kind of set out to, to follow that path? Was there sort of one direction you were hoping to follow and this is just where you sort of ended up in your career? Yeah, I mean, I think I thought that I would end up on sitcoms. I mean, I didn't really know. Um, and I, if if there's anything that I would tell an actor, it's that whatever you think your career is going to be, it's going to be something different. Um, so, and that's kind of the fun of it. I mean, I, you know, some I've done a lot more drama than I thought that I would ever do, um, which is fun and fine and wonderful. I've done, um, and part of it is that, you know, the industry shifted, like sitcoms, multi-camera sitcoms were very popular when I came out here, but they kind of faded in popularity for a while. Um, and it became much more about single camera comedies. And now it's kind of shifting back the other way. And, and so I've just kind of rolled with it and, and felt lucky to be able to do things that frankly, I wasn't necessarily expecting to do. Um, you know, I did a role on Nip Tuck that like is a show about plastic or beautiful plastic surgeons in Miami. Like if there was ever a list of shows that I would have sworn I would never be on, that was it. And that ended up being like one of the biggest roles of my career to that point. So after that, I sort of went, okay, I obviously don't know what shows I'm right for. So I'm just going to enjoy getting to work on <laughs> things that I love and I'm going to stop worrying about what I think is supposed to happen. Well, it's it's funny you mentioned Nip Tuck because that, that is definitely the one that I'm very intrigued to talk to you about because we actually... I had a feeling. Yeah, well, we, we actually covered every single episode of it. We're big Nip Tuck fans. Oh. It was one of the three main shows that we, we've covered on this show from start to finish. And my co-host and I vividly remember that episode because yeah. we talked so much about how this is a very pivotal episode in the show, particularly with the character of yeah. Christian. I, I would love to know how yep. that role event ended up coming about and what, what's your thought on reading for the role of Abby Mays? Because it's quite a, a unique character, I guess we could say. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I went in for the audition. 
it was, it was, so there was a, it was a two-step audition process. I went in for what's called the pre-read when there's lots of actors, it's sort of all different looks and shapes and sizes there. And then I got a callback. I went in for the callback and I noted that everyone was kind of, uh, I don't know if this is the right word to use, but kind of physically average. At the, at the pre-read, there were people who were really sort of heavy and really not so heavy and just kind of all over the place. And it's interesting for me as an actor always to kind of observe how the how the group of actors changes and narrows down as you get down to the callback because it tells you a little something about what they're thinking about for the role. You know, often they're not sure what they want until they see a bunch of actors and then they start to make up their minds and you can see that reflected at the callback. So, um, you know, the role is very much about um, this character, Abby, who wants to make radical changes to her body and who Christian treats as though there's something really, really wrong with her. And so I kind of said to them in the read, like, how are you going to show the difference in Abby pre and post surgery? Is there going to be a lot of prosthetics? Is it, you know, a lot of makeup? And they said, actually, we want it to be about what's what's going on with her psychologically. Not that much is going to change about her body because there's nothing wrong with her body. What you know, so her perception and Christian's perception of what's wrong with her is all in their minds. And I really liked that. Um, I really liked that interpretation. And I liked, I think my first read was very kind of dramatic and I was trying to be very serious and dramatic. And they were like, let's try and give her a sense of humor, which is much more my wheelhouse, <laughs> where I'm comfortable. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it meant something to me that that's what they wanted. And they, they didn't want it to feel heavy and serious. They wanted Abby to be someone who likes herself and who likes her life. And, and, um, so at the end of that episode, really Christian is the tragic figure. Abby isn't Abby comes out of that episode kind of triumphant and learning something about herself, which I love. Um, but it was, it was it was before email, so it was a time at the time when you would get your audition sides, the stuff you read in the audition by fax. And so I only got a couple of scenes. And so when I booked the role, my agent called and she said, They want they want you to do it. They just want to make sure that you're okay with the scene where you're on all fours and he's having sex with you from behind and you have a bag on your head. And I was like, What? The what scene? Because <laughs> I hadn't seen that one. And she sort of said, let me let me get them to fax it over to you. And so I just remember kind of, I, I it's such a vivid memory. I remember sitting alone in my apartment and, and saying to myself, well, you have to decide if you are willing to love yourself the way you are right now or not. If you aren't, you can't do this role. And if you want to do this role, you have to make that decision right now. Otherwise, it's going to be too hard, you know, psychologically and, and on your heart. And so I, I, I was just sort of like, I want to do it. It's the scariest, biggest opportunity I've had so far. I would be crazy to turn this down. Let's do it. And I've met a lot of actors in my category who I see at auditions all the time who turned it down. And I totally respect them for it. There are other kinds of roles that I've turned down for, you know, different reasons that they've been happy to do but it's it's uh it's just really interesting what what different people respond to or are turned off by and i and it was a huge role for me and the most amazing experience like i'm still friends with a lot of people from nip tuck and it was the most wonderful shooting experience so when people 
talk to me about it and are kind of like worried for me and like, oh God, were you okay? I was so worried about you. I'm like, I had a great time. <laughs> you know, it's a very positive memory for me. Well, it, I mean, it must be obviously something that you were very glad, as you said, meeting people who turned it down and it's done great things for your career. But did, did you watch the show beforehand? Were you familiar kind of with some of the background storyline into why Christian was treating the character that way going into it to help you get into that role a little bit more as well? No. I had no idea. And I said to my friend uh, after I booked it, I was like, oh, blah, it says, you know, demeaning sex with Christian, but how much could they really show? And she, my best friend said, have you ever seen Nip Chuck? <laughs> I think I'm probably glad I hadn't seen it. Otherwise, I would have been more scared, you know? Um, no, I had no idea. How how was it working with, with Julian? I mean, obviously, as an Australian myself, obviously very proud of uh, Julian uh-huh. McMahon. But I, I, I hear he's a bit of fun to work with, which was a little bit, I could yeah. imagine, opposite to the role he was playing, particularly in that episode when he's kind of a broken man at that point after Kimber left him yeah. at, at the altar. We had so much. I adore him. We uh, bump into each other every so often. And um, I think he has fond memories of me as well. He, you know, no one got naked on that show more than Julian. So yeah. <laughs> he understood, <laughs> he understood what was being asked of me. He took such good care of me. He was always checking in and making sure I was okay and keeping things lighthearted and joking. And like, there was no feeling of sort of heaviness or awkwardness or weirdness, which I've had on other shows. So I'm, I, you know, I was so grateful to him to be for, and I think everyone on the show was a little bit nervous about the role of Abby Mays because it was as dark as they'd ever gone really on that show. And that show went pretty dark, but you know, I could tell when I went for kind of my early fittings and to meet with people that everyone was nervous that I was going to be okay. And that they weren't doing, they weren't crossing a line, you know? And so I think um, everyone there and Christian included were relieved that I was happy to be there. I felt good about it. I had a great time. I was, you know, not constantly bursting into tears all over the place, like (laughs) a positive (laughs) experience. And I, you know, just once they saw sort of what direction the role was going to take, I think it, it kind of put everyone a little bit at ease. And I just, I just loved working with him. Like, like I said, it was such a positive, fun experience that it, I have to remind myself that for people watching it, it was a little bit traumatizing or looked like it would have been traumatizing for me when it wasn't. Which it's fascinating to hear that. I mean, even the, the dark side that you say, because this is a show that touched on bestiality, on incest, on necrophilia, yeah. you know, you name it. it. It ticked off the disturbing bingo, I guess. So the fact that mm-hmm. we have an episode that a lot of people still to this day will talk about, the paper bag episode, uh, yeah, very... Mm-hmm dark and and depraved and just and it's really an interesting moment for Christian's character because sort of you've always seen him as this kind of playboy with a bit of vulnerable side but as soon as he gets left at the altar he's just kind of absolute rock bottom and he just he just treats everyone around him like absolute shit yeah and then you see him at the end you know I sort of get to leave with my head held high and he's falling apart at Mm -hmm. the end and it's I think you know one of the most vulnerable moments Christian has in the series um we just kind of see him destroyed and and realizing you know it's about kind of the depth of his own self-loathing for sure which I think is so um it's so revealing and so interesting and such an important moment for 
the character. And I think part of why people remember that episode is, you know, I think people think they remember it because of what, how he treats Abby, but really what that episode is really about is Christian realizing how much he hates himself. For sure. And we, we, every season we, we finished, we would do a top five moments of each season. And, and that moment, the moment where he ends up having sex with you with the bag on your head and it's basically like, yeah. I bought you something here, wear the bag. Uh-huh. That, that moment uh-huh. made our top five. We thought that was just such a standout moment for that entire season. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It was, I mean, it's wild to say that that was so much fun to shoot. But it really <laughs> and, well, how and often do you I've get to with... say you get to do that? You get to have sex with Julie McMahon yeah. wearing a paper bag on your head. I don't think anyone else in Hollywood can say that, Rebecca. So you're a unique actor I in that situation. So. <laughs> I don't think so. I remember standing in the, before that scene, in the date scene, when I first get to his apartment and he offers me a drink, we were, we were, they were setting up lights or something. We were standing just, you know, practically nose to nose. And I just looked at, I remember saying, I, I think more attention has been paid to your eyebrows than any part of my body. Like than wow. all of me at it. He just like, he's, he's a movie star and such a sweetheart. And I just, I just love him. Well, you obviously did enough in that role to be memorable because you got to come back in a cameo the season later, sort of yeah. Christian's leaving his apartment and he's sort of having these memories of all the girls that he's bedded. So what was it like to get that phone call saying, Hey, we want you to come back for a, for a cameo on Nip Tuck again. I mean, it's just, it, oh, it, it always feels when you play a character and they decide to bring you back, it just always feels like a little gold star, like a little, you know, reassurance that yes, they really did sort of appreciate your work as much as you hoped and suspected maybe that they did. And a lot of the time you work on a show and they go, oh, we're going to have you back. And it was so wonderful. And, you know, sometimes it comes to pass and sometimes it doesn't. So when it does, it's very validating and especially that show where I had so many I made so many friends there it was just like knowing that I got to go back and and hang out with people that I loved and at that time I was actually dating um the person who's now my husband and he came and visited the set and Julian sort of poked at him and made fun of him a little bit and it was like <laughs> it was just really fun to that he got to see a little bit of that part of my life and that show particularly. He didn't end up giving you a paper bag as a gift or something. I know when he went on Rosie's show after he'd had sex with her on a rug, he brought the rug to her as sort of a memento. I mean, there wasn't some sort of, you know, no. sick memento with a, pla- a paper bag, was there? <laughs> He's never done that with me. He's never done that with me, but I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> and what was it like working with Ryan Murphy as well? Obviously, he kind of only had just really started at that point in terms of TV. He'd yeah. done popular beforehand. That was really his first big hit. Uh, I mean, that must have been pretty crazy to work with him him at that early point in his career yeah yeah and i i worked with him again on american horror story asylum mm-hmm. um you know it's a good it's a good family to be in although he does seem to like to torture me i feel like i need to uh <laughs> i need to work on that <laughs> and get him to see me in a different light next time yeah, for sure. I mean, he does. He does like to use sort of, um, you know, actors over it again in different mm-hmm. shows. And as you said, American Horror Story. Do, do you kind of hope that maybe there might be another phone call? Because I mean, he's got about thirty different shows going on at the moment, doesn't he? he? Seems to have a new one every week. I know it could be anything. I mean, at this point, it's sort of like I'm working, I'm working for Disney, which owns everything, and you know, having in with Ryan Murphy, who works, who does everything. So it sort of feels like it's inevitable yeah. <laughs> later. You're basically covering all of Hollywood, Disney and Ryan Murphy. I mean, what's left? Uh, yeah. I don't know, nothing. 10% of Hollywood yeah. is somewhere out there. James Bond movie, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Shonda Rhimes. I, I managed to get myself on a Shonda Rhimes show. She's the other big there power you go. showrunner. So, 
it's all working together. It's like this big, massive cinematic universe mm-hmm. all connected. You, you mentioned obviously that was the Nip Tuck role did great things for your career. I mean, did that? Did you get phone calls from people saying, hey, we saw you on Nip Tuck, we think you're suited for this role? I mean, how did that kind of benefit your career moving forward after you appeared on the show? It didn't, you know, it's, it, it wasn't so much that the phone calls changed. I did start going out for larger roles, like the, you know, the sort of size and demands of the roles that I started reading for changed a bit. But um, really what changed was that before that, I was used to sort of going into audition rooms and meeting people who didn't expect much of me, who didn't particularly know my work or, you know, and so I got to sort of do a good job and they would go, oh, wow, you really know what you're doing. And after that, I mean, I would walk into audition rooms and the, the casting person or whoever was there would say, oh, my God, this is Rebecca. She is amazing. You're not going to believe it. She was so amazing on Nipsuck. And I would be thinking like, well, I'm not about to be amazing. You haven't given me amazing material. Like it suddenly, it was really a transition from being an underdog to being like heaped with praise before I even started the audition, which actually was kind of uncomfortable. It, it took, it was a real adjustment for me. It took me a couple of months, I think, to get used to the shift in sort of how I was perceived, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, people expected a lot more of me and I had to get used to that. And do, I mean, how does that rank, do you think, on the roles that you've had? I mean, I don't know if you like to list your favorite roles or your most memorable roles, but I mean, do, do you consider that one up there as, as one of your, your favorites that you were part of? Oh, definitely. I mean, I don't I don't sort of think of them in terms of ranking, but in terms of sort of roles that were memorable, roles that I loved doing and roles that had an impact on my career and on my confidence as an actor and as a professional. That one is definitely up there. Is it more fun to be on a show with a little bit more, I don't want to say depravity necessarily, but you've got a little bit more (laughs) free will to do things. I mean, not to take away from a role in a Disney show. I'm sure that's completely fun. Mm -hmm. But when you're on a channel such as FX, like you are obviously now with Better Things, you can get away with a little bit more. So I I can feel you maybe can open yourself up a little bit more. Is that more fun to do roles like that? Yeah. I mean, I like a dark streak. I like, I in what I watch, in what I do, my, my sense of humor, you know, I think um, it just rings true to me that there's a little bit of a dark streak in everything. And that's a little different on a Disney show. Although, um, you know, the character that I play, she's sarcastic, she gets annoyed. And, you know, so as she, she's allowed to have a, a Disney friendly dark streak, I would say, you know, she's not, she's not sort of sunshine and roses, baking cookies all the time. Um, <laughs> But it definitely is, I, you know, I gravitate and I think, you know, the list of shows that I've done sort of reflect, reflects this. I gravitate towards shows that, um, that honor the fact that life has funny moments and dark moments often sort of butted right up against each other. You know, where you're laughing at a funeral, you're, you know, someone dies at your wedding, like, (laughs) um, that I to me that's how life is it's it's rarely pure joy or pure tragedy a lot of the time it's it's mixed up and um I really tend to gravitate towards projects like that and fortunately get hired for projects you know I was on Shameless for three seasons and that's a show that that submitted itself for awards in the drama category and then the comedy category but like that really kind of straddles both sides of that line that's that's definitely something I'm drawn to. 
Are you ever drawn to any roles that feature cats? Because I, I looked at your Instagram, <laughs> Rebecca, and uh, I do love all the posts on, on, on your cats. This seems to be a bit of a passion uh-huh. for you. So I can imagine that yeah. if, a, if a role came up like that, you, you'd, be, you'd be down for it straight away. I would be totally down for it. The problem is, and cat lovers out there will be shocked to hear, cats do not take direction very well. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> they're difficult to work with on set. I've worked on Coop and Cammy. We actually have gotten to work with a lot of animals and on better things, too. Um, and cats are tricky. You can get them to, like, run from one place to each other, to the other, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, but I'm down to work with any, except bugs. I'm not big on bugs, but yeah. any animal. Um, a nice uh, I would love to work with a bear. Oh wow. A that's big cat. Yeah, okay. I would love to. That's that's a big leap from a from a cat to well, a bear. It is. But why not? <laughs> it, is. it is. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm manifesting All that right. project. Come on, Hollywood, you're listening right now. Rebecca Metz wants yeah, to work exactly. with a bear. Okay. Well Sign make make it happen. Do it. Yes. Uh for anybody listening right now, Rebecca, uh social media, let us let us know where we can follow you and see these pictures of your cats because I, I want the world to see these cats, not not just oh, me. Please, yes. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at the Rebecca Metz. There's cats all over the place. I haven't right. gotten into TikTok. Someone's going to have to drag me kicking and screaming to TikTok, but Instagram <laughs> and Twitter. I think I just mentioned to you before we started recording, so I'm discovering Zoom, so I'm about five years removed from TikTok. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up eventually, I think. Uh, eventually. Rebecca, pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much. Best of luck with everything moving forward and fingers crossed for that role with a bear coming soon to our screens. Uh, Thank you. It's been so much fun talking to you and reminiscing about Nip Tuck. Thank you for that. And a big thanks to Rebecca for her time. Great chat there. And a big thanks to her management team as well for arranging that interview with us. Definitely a pleasure to chat to her and learning a lot there as well. We always like to learn a lot about these shows that we are covering. Got a few other interviews lined up in the uh, coming weeks, which is pretty exciting. I'm not going to tease right now who they are, but I will kind of at least say that there is a connection to two of the other shows that we've covered on this program, Third Watch and Lost. So, That's all I'll say. Stay tuned. We will post those when they are available. And in the meantime, of course, other shows that we're covering, Total Drama Island is happening whenever Rossi and Jared do it. And, of course, we are in the midst of Anniversary Month right now for our movie recaps every Thursday. Still a couple of fun ones to do there, so stay tuned for those. Once again, thanks to Rebecca for her time, and thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been the Oz Network. My name is Ben, and we will speak to you next time. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.